Hey, Ben, remember I was telling you about my roommate, Chelly? Oh, I do. That was last episode. Yeah. So we were talking about how when you live with somebody and you share a kitchen, you could just try to free ride off of the other person and never do the dishes. But the other person kind of has control over that situation because they could just not do the dishes either. And then you're in this kitchen standoff. Right. The kitchen standoff. That's one of the outcomes from a repeated prisoner's dilemma. The ideal, of course, is that you both do the frickin' dishes every night. But yeah, it's easy to have a situation. We call this defection, right? Where somebody fails to do the dishes. And then the next day, you're like, well, tit for tat, you didn't do the dishes. I'm not going to do the dishes. And next thing you know, everything is broken down. Yeah, so that repeated prisoner's dilemma situation... That's only if you assume that the situation never ends. But as we all know, all living situations must come to an end. Someone will move out or the end of the week, month, etc. And when you have a time limit, suddenly things get different. I, I think I've experienced that. But can I interject with a non sequitur? Sure, Ben. Hi, I'm Ben Clements. I'm Liz Landau. And this is Pod, Pod Paper, Paper Scissors. You gotta make decisions. Will you cooperate or defect? You gotta make decisions. Having expressed that, sorry about the non sequitur. Yeah, I think I've been there. I've had housemates and they give 30 days notice and then everything gets weird. Yeah, like you kind of don't know how to behave. Especially if you haven't known the person for that long. If it's a really good friend of yours and you know that you're going to see them all the time anyway, it might not be so strange. But if your relationship is purely as cohabitation and then that habitation is ending, it's like, well, do I still care about the dishes? So th- this gets tested in the lab. The- this is a well-known sort of game. It's called the centipede game. Last time I called it the caterpillar game, but that's longer. Uh, centipedes, they, they only have 100 feet. Wait, does this have to do with that like really nasty centipede thing that there was a South Park episode about? Do I want to hear about this? No, it's, it's not suitable for young ears. Okay, well, well, we'll just let the people who know what that's about wink with you about that. But, okay, the, no, no, it's, it's game theorists, so they have no sense of humor and it's all very boring. But yeah, so the centipede game, it's its much more boring. So you and I are going to have some sort of prisoner's dilemma interaction. So you have an incentive to defect, to take the money and run. But if you don't defect, then you're going to have another period where we play the game again. So it, it's called a centipede because, okay, the head of the centipede we just met and we're about to start our first game. The game can go forward. That's the version where we cooperate or it can go down which is when one of us defects. If it goes down, the game's over. If it goes forward and we cooperate, well, you have the option to defect, and it goes down, and then that's the end of that thread. Or it goes forward, and then you have the option to go down. And hopefully I'm painting the picture of this long chain of things where each step there's this down option where the game just ends. And in the lab, they'll play this for 100 steps, which makes it a centipede. Wait, what does this have to do with my housing situation? The thing about the centipede game, it's only 100 steps, so it ends. Oh, so like step 99, you know it's going to end at 100. 
Yeah, so at, at 100, what are your incentives? Well, it's a simple one-shot prisoner's dilemma. Formerly, the only equilibrium in a, in a one-shot prisoner's dilemma is for both people to say, I'm not washing the freaking dishes, you do it. So on day 99, I'm just thinking about on day 100, just one day from now, I know that Chelly won't clear the table and she knows I'm not going to do the dishes. So why would I do the dishes on day 99 when she won't cooperate tomorrow no matter what I do? Sounds about right. If we know there's going to be mutual defection on day 100 no matter what, what is there to plan forward to on day 99? So on day 98, it's the same because I just think about, well, on day 99, Chelly's not going to do the dishes. So why would she do it on day 98? But wait, why, why would she do it on day 97 then, knowing that the end is near? Or 96 or 95? You just keep subtracting one all the way back to day one. This, this is known as backward induction. Right, you started at the end, and you sort of worked your way backward, and we've just proven that the only thing to do in this sort of theoretic perfect world is that you, on day one, you say, well, someday things are going to fall apart, so I might as well just stop now. Wait, so that means that when you move in to a new house with roommates, you might as well just be a jerk and never pitch in around the house and never clean up, etc.? Uh, that's that's the theory. That's the theory. And, and of course, that doesn't actually happen. If it does happen, yeah, you're, you're in a bad way and you got you got to get you got to get out fast. But yeah, in reality, repeated prisoners dilemmas work. So repeated prisoners dilemmas is what we were talking about last time, where there is no end in sight and you just cooperate so that the other person cooperates. Right. Well, this is still a repeated prisoners dilemma. You, you do repeat the prisoner's dilemma a hundred times. But yeah, if there's a set ending, you get a different result than you get if theoretically you go to infinity. But the result we see IRL is closer to that thing where you go to infinity than the result where, yeah, on day one, you're like, well, this, this'll, this'll all be over soon. So I'm, I'm just going to be a jerk on day one. So I, I guess the question is, you know, there is no infinity in real life. So why do people cooperate? It must be love, Ben. It must be love. Well, that that's one story. The people are just nice to each other, and game theorists, they're, you know, an offshoot of hyper-rational economics. And ec economics evidently attracts a lot of people who are evidently jerks and are like, yeah, you know, I would just defect on day one if I had the option. And now it's a mystery. It's a total mystery why people cooperate. But yeah, I, th I think we can be a, a little more rational about it to some extent and try to think of other ways in which people might cooperate. Like, really, if you know that your opponent will cooperate for at least some number of periods, like for whatever reason, they, they showed up drunk and they couldn't work out the optimal equilibrium, or really, it really is love, who knows what? What about sea urchins? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, so in in doing the, the minimal amount of research that we do for these these talks, I, I picked up a, a book by Ken Binmore, and he, he had a, like several pages of narrative about this. So if you don't know Ken Binmore, he, he's a prominent game theorist. I, I knew him briefly. He liked... No one knows him. Well, I, can I tell exciting anecdotes about... What I've learned about podcasting is that no one cares if you've met 
an obscure person that you think is important. Okay. With apologies to Mr. Finmore, but we must move on. Anyway, in the end, we set fire to my dissertation. Okay. So, yeah, he gives this one example. He talks about how when he was a kid, he, he wondered why when you go to the go to the convenience store and you buy, you hand over money to buy, like, I don't know, whatever. What, what do kids buy? Cigarettes. And you hand the money over. Why does the shopkeeper even give you anything? You can just say, like, all right, thanks. Get out of here. And, and of course, the fact that he was a small child and he started thinking this, he was destined to be a game theorist. But it happens, right? They will give you the, the cigarettes. What would happen if they didn't? Well, then you would go on Yelp and be like, this is the worst store in the world. They keep your money. Do not go there. And then no one else would go there. Even pre-Yelp, right? Reputation got around. And so it, even for, for Ken Binmore buying his cigarettes... Yeah, it's better to have him hand over the money every every week, or I, I don't know if Ken Binmore, the 12-year-old, was a chain smoker or something. Smoking is bad, kids. Don't do it. You get it. it you would rather repeat the, repeat the interaction than to just cut it off once. We see this. This happens in real life. And then Binmore went on to talk about drug dealers. And it, it's interesting that he brings up drug dealers because they... You know, like the I've seen the wire. Drug dealers are famously when you walk through the garden. They're they're famously un, unscrupulous, right? It's not because they the dealer loves the loves the buyer or the buyer loves the dealer. He then gives the example from street urchins to to sea urchins. Sea urchins are hermaphroditic, and one will lay eggs, and the other will like care for the like the other the other sea urchin in Whoa. the pair will care for the eggs for a while it's like sharing responsibility yeah and and then the other one will lay the eggs and the other the first one will care for them for a while and yeah it's a it's a repeated prisoner's dilemma every, every period one sea urchin has the chance to shirk and be like no nah, no nah, you take care of the kids i don't care so it is like evolutionary game theory uh i, I suppose so because they they continue to exist and live and stores continue ex to exist and whatever stores are like no screw it I, they're, they're kind of gone well yeah and like if i hire a babysitter that i would use in the future and she takes my kid and drives him to new mexico and i have to go and find them well guess what i'm not going to use that babysitter again totally so we have a, we have a good number of examples here of repeated prisoners dilemmas where cooperation actually happens the, the shopkeeper gives over the the stuff the drug dealer gives over the stuff the sea urchins share babysitters don't drive the kids away to New Mexico. And then, you know, I guess you can ransom the kid for like millions of dollars. But what if you have a summer fling? You know that you're never going to see this person again because you're just spending the summer in Sevilla. And on the last day, when you're saying goodbye at the airport, you grab the dude's wallet and you get on that plane to the U.S. You did this, didn't you? The, the, you're speaking from your life, aren't you? I'm not saying I didn't do it, but I'm not saying I did. I'm just asking, what is stopping me from doing so? Well, you just never know in life if you're going to meet somebody again, yeah? That's true. I mean, 15 years later, I might be hiking the Dolomites, and then there's Pablo, and he's like, Tu me robaste el dinero! Dame el dinero! Right, and there you're on a mountaintop, and he just, like, pushes you over. Yeah. Hashtag retribution. So I guess we all better be nice to each other because you just never know. Back to the roommate example. 
Yeah. It, it, but by the way, when we rehearsed this, Liz asked, aren't all endings probabilistic? I, I guess I'll, I'll just steal it. Liz, aren't all endings probabilistic? Isn't everything in life temporary? Aren't we all just, as Jonathan Larson said, paying rent on this earth? I once had a yoga teacher ask us to make up a mantra for when, uh, you know, when things get tough, you, you, you want a mantra to help you calm yourself. And uh, the one I came up with was, it'll all be over soon. It will all be over soon, Ben. So true. You know, Chelly's moving out, and it's very likely that we will never live together again. However, let's say that Chelly applies for a job at the place where I work 10 years from now. If she leaves a bitter taste in my mouth with her failure to clean up the kitchen, am I going to recommend hiring her 10 years from now? Perhaps not. And, you know, there is some some overlap in social circles. There's going to be some chance that word gets around. In the centipede game, getting back to the sort of perfect theoretical thing, round 100, there is an ending, and that's it. One thing, one thing that people do in, the, in this sort of theoretical game is when they set up the game, they say, okay, every period you're going to play this, and there's some chance, you know, uh, one in 30 or something, that I'm just going to cut off the game. You're, you're going to play, and then instead of saying, all right, next round, I'm just going to say, all right, game's over. And people are much more likely to cooperate because they don't see the ending. They don't have to worry about, well, in the next period, my opponent's going to defect. Yeah, so even if Chelly gives 30 days notice to move out, you just never know if that's really the end of your interaction with that person. There's another thing that I've been sort of reading about and thinking about that may explain this sort of unwillingness to backward induce from 100 steps forward. Uh, and it, it's called the unexpected hanging. The uh, unexpected hanging? It, 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 you didn't expect that, did you? I did not. So the paradox of the unexpected hanging, I first learned about it from Martin Gardner. Do, is it okay if I read to you from his book entitled The Unexpected Hanging? Martin Gardner? You mean the Scientific American columnist? Yeah, and this was almost certainly a Scientific American column before it got anthologized into the book. He traced back the story of the unexpected hanging. I'll read it. Leonard Eckboom, who teaches mathematics at Oostermalm's College in Stockholm, pinned down what may be the origin of the paradox. In 1943 or 1944, the Swedish broadcasting company announced that a civil defense exercise would be held the following week, and to test the efficiency of civil defense units, no one would be able to predict, even on the morning of the exercise, when it would take place. The weird thing about it, uh, let, let, let's say the week ends, how do, when do weeks end? Sunday. Okay. Sunday rolls around, and they said, you wouldn't be able to predict that the exercise would take place. But Sunday morning, you're like, well, it has to be today. But wait a minute, Ben. If you think, okay, it's Sunday, then you won't be surprised. So you work backwards. So Yeah, it can't be Sunday. I won't be surprised. And then you think about Saturday. If you think that it's Saturday, then you won't be surprised then either. Knowing that Sunday is off the table, it can't happen Sunday, it can't happen Saturday, because Saturday morning I'm going to be like, well, it's not tomorrow. 
And then you just go all the way back through the days of the week. And then you're like, well, I won't be surprised any of these days. Exactly. So we've just proven that the exercise can't happen. But then the exercise happens on Tuesday and you're like, oh, that was unexpected. Exactly. But not surprising. Exactly. Having set up the, the logic and having proven that it's impossible on every day, well, it's possible on any day. You know, the, the author notes that even on Sunday, you would be pretty surprised. And yes, so much has been written on this. Well, I guess the explanation that I would give, Ben, is that if you talk yourself out of it, if you say, this thing definitely won't happen any day this week, and then it happens on Thursday, then you are surprised because you've put yourself in the mental state of this definitely will not happen. Yeah, if you've ruled out all the possibilities, then all the possibilities are, in the end, equally likely, equally possible. But wait, Ben, you called this the unexpected hanging. Are you saying somebody's going to get hanged in this example? Yeah, yeah, there, there's a version where uh, the, the storyline is that there's a jailer telling, the per telling somebody that they're not going to know what day they're going to get hanged on. And yeah, I don't know what it means. The theories gravitate toward like prisoners and interrogation rooms and people getting hanged. But in the civil defense version or the unexpected hanging version or the centipede game, they all have that same backward induction where you can step backwards from the last day all the way to the first possible day to say something about every day in between. I guess you don't need criminals for that. So before we close out this unexpected hanging section, let me just note, like, when I think about this stuff, um, my head hurts. Oh, so it's not just me. Yeah, this is this is this stuff is really hard to think about, and I th I think the lesson we get from that is that backward induction is not natural. It's not something that we as people are used to, and if you have a centipede game, it's not guaranteed that people are going to be able to think back the way that we were able to think back here. Well, maybe we should just be nice to each other, Ben. I, I guess that's a possibility. And, you know, it's even like listening to this podcast. You think, well, it sounds in their voices like this is going to wrap up soon. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about uh, in this episode how the prisoner's dilemma, uh, this repeated prisoner's dilemma, one way to maintain cooperation is that there's sort of a probabilistic ending. And... You're surprised when it 